Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Harvey Norman Wonthaggy. Your local store for computers and electrical. Free click and collect available now. Live on SEN Track, Latrobe Valley 91.9 FM. And SEN Track, Southwest Gippsland 91.3 FM. Welcome to Saturdays in Gippsland. Every Saturday morning as we set up outside Harvey Norman at Wonthaggy and do the show live, the weather throws something at us. It's either the sun or the wind, or a little bit of rain. Today, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> We've got the sun and the wind, so bear with us. We've got a big show ahead of us, actually. We've got a couple of great issues to talk about, but uh, I'm really looking forward shortly to be talking to Troy Makepeace, one of Gippsland's best footballers. Spent some time at the Kangaroos, Sammy, and he's been a great contributor to the sport in the area. He has. Um, a, a lot of people my age would remember Troy as a bit of a cult figure yeah. um, growing up, play, uh, de- playing down back for the Roos and very uh, looking forward to what he has to say about his career and what he's been up to since finishing football. You know, if I said the name Gary Hamilton, most people would go, <laughs> right, Gary Hamilton, Gary Hamilton, mm. how would I know that name? But What if, what if you said Roger Federer? Uh, that's a yes, mm. I know that name. Well, these two are entwined in a very important way. They are. Non-sexual, obviously. <laughs> So when I said entwined, I don't want people to get the wrong idea in this day and age. But Gary Hamilton's going to be a really good chat. And Roger Federer is a reason, mm-hmm. is the reason we're talking to Gary Hamilton. And we'll let you know more about that during the course of the show. And last week we spoke, didn't we, uh, cycling um, the, to Karen Jones. I really feel as I'm getting this urge to fly a kite. I'm not sure why. <laughs> we spoke to Karen Jones, and this week we're going to be speaking to Brenton Jones, who's part of the Michelin Tour of Gippsland. A really exciting few days that are happening, actually, you know, coming up very shortly. And then Bo Vernon, who's one of our regulars, he, he wants to have a chat about Ash Barty and just the way she approaches her tennis. And I'd, I'm really interested to hear what Bo thinks. So Bo's a big one. On mindset, as I understand it, is that right, Sam? The man? Yeah, he is for sure. Yeah, he's, he's uh, worked worked in that space um, since his incident on the footy field, and um, yeah, it's played a big part in in his life, and it's probably seen him reach the heights that he has in local sport. Yeah, he's he's, he's very much respected, but and I reckon the mindset would have played a, a big part in in his personal development. You know, when you're confronted with. In his case, I, look, I'd say a tragedy, but mm-hmm. he may see it differently a couple of years down the track. But being as positive you, as you can about making the best of where you are at any given time is a really important thing. And it's all very well to have a positive mindset for 10% of the time or 20% of the time or 50% of the time. But unless you're doing it for 100% of the time, you're not going to be the best you can. And Bo's, I get the feeling Bo's... Uh, very much down that path and I, I think he's got the greatest respect for those athletes that seem to have that really strong mindset of what they need to do to get where they need to go yep. so Bo's, Bo's going to sort of scratch the surface of that later in the program which I'm really looking forward to and we, we might sort of test Bo and 
Blairy, Jason Blair, uh, Jared Blair, and another one of our regulars during the course of the year, and sort of stretched them outside their uh, th- their area of expertise. Yep, outside the comfort zone. Yeah, exactly right. Hey, what a week! You know, Cane Corns, uh, South Australia. Look, I spent a bit of time in South Australia. As you probably get sick of me saying, but <laughs> Cane Corns was always a a fairly dividing character. You know, it's either black or white with Kane. But the thing I like about Kane, whether you agree or disagree with him. He has the artillery behind what he says to back up what he says and why he says it. And this week, his comments about women's sport, I, I actually, I warm to because I get it and I feel it. And I think that he's on the very much the right track in the sense that he said that a lot of journalists, and I think people in general, are reluctant to be too critical or analyse too deeply or harshly women's sport through fear of any backlash they get. Now, that weren't his exact words, but you get the gist of what I'm saying. Yep. And, and and I believe that's the case. And I, and I believe people are hesitant in a lot of areas, not just that area, a, a lot of areas to be as honest as they'd like to be because it's just easier to toe the line. Yep. But I think that's what makes Kane so good at what he does is that he says what he feels rather than what he thinks people want to hear. And there's a really important difference between the two that's 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 exactly right and I, I tend to agree with a few of uh with Kane's sentiment there but there's you've also got to look at um criticism of of some women's sport not all but maybe take AFLW for yep. an example yeah it's it's a bit unfair for them to to get the same criticism of the men if they're not full-time professionals true yeah um I think that's 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 the case but certainly and there's also the argument to be made that there is there is critical uh, behaviour, uh, critical um, reporting of, of women's of women's sport out there. But, but you have to look for but it. But you have to look for yeah, it. Yeah, it's, so it's not mainstream it's, so much, is it? it? Yeah, exactly. And we'd like it to be mainstream because that's that's it's what makes athletes athletes. They they need to feel the pressure, and it's more interesting. It's more interesting if you're yeah. under the pump. It, it's not all sports. Not all happy all the time. So. I do agree that there probably needs to be a little bit more and there might be some journalists that do fear it, but you've also got to look at the other side of it as well. Now, I don't think there's any question over the years we've actually applauded women who have performed well on a national or international level. And I wrote down a few names here. Kathy Freeman. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that performance is still spoken about today, 25 years later from the 96, uh, from, from the 2000 Sydney Olympics. I yep. mean, it, I think people respect performances that are elite mm-hmm. uh, and I'll give you another example Jessica Fox just recently in the kayaking um, and then Ariane Titmus in mm-hmm. in the pool so 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 when they're elite performances they they are applauded for what they are but I think some performances what we do AFLW cricket uh, not so much the Matildas I think the Matildas have sort of built that credibility over a period of time that you that they've earned, yep. they've, they've earned the praise and the criticism. If yeah, you know they, what I mean, they've come under a bit of fire for their performance in the Asian Cup. Yeah, a pretty disappointing result, which is great to see. That they 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 deserve to be held accountable for their performance. Exactly, and I think what happens is with AFL football and cricket that although they've been a little around for a little while, they're still very they're still very yeah. young, aren't they? And uh-huh. and and we're comparing apples with oranges. They're both fruit, but they're both completely different. You know, women's football. 
we compare it to AFL football and go, well, women's football is, is no good. Mm-hmm. But no, no, women's football, you can't compare it to men's football for the exact reason you just said. And cricket for that. And they haven't been, and a lot of these girls that are playing in the AFLW have not been playing football anywhere near the length of the no, men. And, and I, I try to watch as much AFLW as I can, and the standard is certainly... It's improved. Oh, it's multiplied by tenfold since uh, the first season, yeah. and that's great to see. Yeah, I think that first year, I, th- I think what happens is people start to get ahead of themselves. I think too early, you know, when there was demands for extra wages and demands for extra... We think, well... One sec, just everyone has to pay their dues. Mm-hmm. Pay your dues, earn your spot, and it may not be your time. It actually may be your daughter or your daughter's daughter that will reap the benefits of the hard work that you're doing now. It takes time. Remember, it was only 30 years ago that AFL men's, after 100 years, started to become professionals. It was 100 years, yeah. Sammy, yeah. Of, putting, of playing the game before they started to get the rewards based on it becoming a full-time profession. Yep. Women's football has been going, what now, five years? Has it been going five? Maybe a bit more. Oh, in the AFL, yeah. In, in been, the, at yeah. AFL level. Yeah. Um, and we're getting closer to where, what they want to achieve, but we just got to be patient. That's it. Patience is not one of my great virtues, so I, <laughs> so I get where the women are uh, coming from as well. Hey, listen, we're talking sport as we do every Saturday morning between 9 and 11. We're doing it live from Harvey Norman in Wonthaggy, where I tell you what, they've got an unbelievable selection of goods, as you'd come to expect at your local store for computers and electrical free click and a collect are available right now what's going to be available is our next guest troy makepeace who's an absolute ripper uh, and he'll be joining us in a few moments time it's saturdays in gippsland with sam the man watson and rob popplestone poppy and swatter as uh we uh, like to call ourselves one of your mates just came through with a dog to be padded uh, but you, you you're a you're one of the celebs of one thing, oh, aren't you? I am, I am. That's they why come I part. Uh, look, when I got here, there was an elderly lady standing across the road waving her hand. A bloke walked past with a dog and just let you pat his dog. He's one of my cricket teammates. Is he? Yeah. What, 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 what's his name? Wayne. Wayno. Wayno? Does, what, what, does he, what does he do? Bowler, uh, opening batter? bowler. Opening bowler. He, he can hit a ball, but he can't. Uh, he's pretty hit and miss, if yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Mm. Now, a lot of fast bowlers are like that. Yeah, exactly right. All right, we're going to be talking sport in just a minute with Swatter and Poppy here at Harvey Norman in Wonthaggy. Back in just a sec. So join in the chorus and sing it one and all. Join in the chorus North Melbourne's on the ball. I can imagine Troy Makepeace with his North Melbourne socks and footy shorts, nothing else, <laughs> just sort of dancing around the land room with a mobile phone in his hand wanting to have a chat to us when he heard that song. <laughs> I, Swatter, I really can. Uh, it's Poppy and Swatter, Rob Popplestone and Sam Watson talking sport as we do every Saturday morning between 9 and 11 here on Gippsland's SEN Track 91.3. That's southwest Gippsland and 91.9 in Latrobe Valley as we sort of every week start to hone in on those people that have made it on the big arena mm-hmm. from the Gippsland area and this bloke's made it nice and big too and I had the pleasure of working with this gentleman I'll say in Troy Makepeace who joins us now. Hey Troy, how are you going? Uh, morning puppy, morning Sam, how are you boys? Yeah, going alright mate. It's a, it's a sunny and it's a windy day. We're at uh, Harvey Norman Wonthaggy doing it live and we do it in the car park which is a good thing <laughs> on a good day but every so often the elements test you a bit <laughs> and you've been there and done yeah. it, you know what it's like. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, not too bad over here in, in old Yanar, mate, so it's a bit windy as well, so yeah, I know what you mean. Hey, uh, we spent a bit of time together covering Gippsland Latrobe footy on a weekly basis, which I really enjoyed, and 
it's amazing where footy takes you, Troy, over the journey, doesn't it? But we wouldn't mind yeah. going back to the yeah, wouldn't mind going back to the start with you. Just to, from the first time you put on the boots to to, to playing for the Kangaroos, take us through that you know that that journey. Um, so started footy when I was about five six years old. Uh, lived in Keysborough in Melbourne. Um, yeah, and just sort of made my way through the ranks and uh, ended up playing with Gippsland Power uh, for a few years. Didn't get drafted at the um, end of my last year and then um, um, played at Moe for a season. Um, yeah, and someone must have been watching and must have had a half-decent season. Got asked to go down and do pre-season at North Melbourne and, um, yeah, from there made the senior list and played there for seven years. Now, Troy, you moved to Churchill when you were about 11, I read. How, how tough was it to make the move from Gippsland, that make the move to Gippsland from Melbourne? And, and do you think footy helped you make that transition as a youngster? Um, no, it wasn't too tough for, for myself, uh, Sam. I was, like I said, I was only sort of 10 or 11 years old um, when the family decided to, to make the move um, up to the country. Uh, it was probably harder for, for them than what it was for, for us. Yeah. Um, I I was a little bit fortunate in the sense that I was in my, I was in grade six, so it was almost like going to a new school anyway in year seven um, once that first year had finished. So, yeah, it, it was different. Uh, obviously, the travel's a little bit further uh, when you go from game to game rather than being in Melbourne. You know, it's only just around the corner pretty much and you've got, you know, five or six teams in the one area. So, no, that, that, but that was... Um, that was a sort of had its perks as well, you know. You go to you know, little towns and and whatnot. So no, it wasn't wasn't too bad at all. It's amazing, isn't it, uh, Troy? We we sort of grow up playing footy for fun, and then it gets to the stage where it's becoming a full time gig. How, how did how did you go with that? The uh, the obligations of playing at the elite level compared to playing for Moey in the Gippsland Trove. Uh, to be honest, Poppy, I think that's why I I enjoyed it so much and maybe part of the reason why I was able to to get as far as I did was that I continued to enjoy it. I didn't make it um, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, a, a job or anything you know like that. Uh, I didn't look at it like that. Um, I remember my, like I said earlier, I played uh, for Moey um, for a season after missing out my final year at Gippsland. Um, and my philosophy or, you know, my idea was just to go and enjoy footy and, and that's exactly what I did and, and I think that was a major part as to, to why I was able to um, be successful um, yeah. and that continued like even while I was at North I didn't look at it like I think I sort of um, appreciated it I guess for, for want of a better term a little bit more than that I didn't go the traditional way of you know getting drafted yeah. you know, in my last year at Gippsland I had to um, you know go a little bit longer and Sort of work my way up, and um, I just I just love the whole the whole experience. I just really enjoyed. It. I didn't see it as a job at all. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that, uh, Troy, because I'm very much a firm believer in approaching footy the same way. And I always admired Malcolm Blight for that. He, he he coached, he played that way, but he coached that way as well with a bit of spontaneity. And he felt as though, you know, if the players didn't. They did what came naturally, you know. And he used to say to say someone like a Matty Robin, "Mate, if you want to chuck out a torpedo, chuck it out. But if it doesn't work, yeah. then put it away for the day. But if we don't know <laughs> what we're going to do, you know, from uh, from play to play, then the opposition don't know what we're going to do from play to day. Make it a game that you enjoy. But it just comes naturally. And and I reckon in life, as in football, I mean, it just makes everything more enjoyable, doesn't it? 
Oh, 100%. Um, you know, my first coach, uh, Dennis Pagan, had a very yes. similar philosophy. Um, his One of his sayings was, you live and die by the sword. And, you know, if yep. you, exactly like you said, if you want to go for a, a big torpedo from 60 metres out or uh, go for a big hanger in the, in the back line and it doesn't come off and you, you concede a goal, like, you, you're going to wear the consequences. But if it comes off and you get a goal for it, he'll give you a pat on the back at the same time. So, yeah, that's, I think that's why I sort of um, uh, flourished a little bit under Dennis was that he gave me... The, the, the freedom, I guess, to, to play my own way and, and play to my strengths. But, yeah, he'll, he'll let you know if it didn't, didn't come off, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. now, now, speaking of coaches, Troy, Mark Thompson coached you in 1999 when you were in the twos yep. at the Roos and then was at the Cats the following year. Did, did you think you were a chance to go to Geelong and do you think your career would have looked pretty different if you did get picked up by the Cats? Uh, it's one of those sliding doors moments, isn't it? Um, but it was one that was out of, outside of my control, so... Um, it, it was difficult. It was difficult to gauge as to to where or if I was going to go uh, anywhere. Um, I did have a good season under under Mark at, at North in the reserves, and um, at the end of the season, I think that was a it was a ninety nine was, was the year that um, North traded heavily for Lee Colbert from Geelong. Um, I think we gave up maybe first and a second round draft pick. So North's first draft selection wasn't until about 50-odd. Um, and that was actually after Geelong's last selection for that season. So as much as I had uh, a bit of a tie there with, with, uh, with Bomber, um, yeah, there was I had to wait through Geelong's all selections and obviously I didn't get called out then. So, yeah, I was a little bit worried about if I was going to get selected at all. But, yeah, North North came in, I think it was their fourth or fifth pick, uh, uh, and I was pretty pumped, yeah. yeah you, be, you became a bit of a stalwart uh, down in the back line for the Roos. How, what are some of your fondest memories in your 139-game career, Troy? Uh, the, the fondest one is just the, the friendships you make. Um, it's a fantastic club. You know, you, People, you hear a lot about it, and you know, uh, opposition supporters and that mock uh, to some extent. Um, you know, the Shinbone spirit and all that sort of stuff. But there's a definite camaraderie um, that you get when when you go down to the to the footy club. Um, you know, from day one when I first walked in, um, you know, the the senior players. Uh, and I'm talking, you know, the likes of um, uh, Matt Capuano, Corey McKernan, David King. Anthony Stevens, all these guys, you walk into the gym and they're all, you know, doing their weights and whatnot and, you know, they first ones to come up and shake your hand and welcome you to the club and, and feel feel a part of it. So um, that that's definitely the, the fondest memory is just the friendship you make, make and, um, you know, when you're fortunate enough to go down um, and get into the rooms at a game and, and whatnot, you, you're certainly made to feel welcome and, and, and part of it still. And, and do you still follow the ruse pretty closely, mate, and catch up with some of those old teammates that you mentioned? Uh, follow them, absolutely. Um, yeah, which is funny because I grew up as a pretty avid um, Bombers supporter and um, <laughs> there's definitely a rivalry uh, there between the two clubs and, and one that was pointed out to me um, pretty quickly um, when I first started. So, yeah... Um, don't really have a soft spot for the Bombers at the, at the moment. So, um, yeah, so um, I forgot what your question was. Sorry, mate. Oh, yeah, it was about following, it was about following the ruse closely, but I was also going to yeah. ask that you, you, I read that you've been pretty vocal 
about North Melbourne relocating and, and your disdain for that was made pretty clear. Now now that they're debt-free, do you think those talks can be put behind everyone? Um, no. <laughs> I don't think anyone will let that go. Um, yeah. yeah, no matter how how much success I think we have, uh, I think that, that that will always be there. We've always looked, been looked upon as, you know, the, the poorer club and you know, a, an easy target for uh, supporters and, and some media to, um, you know, be the first ones thrown up when talks of, you know, we've got too many clubs or, you know, um, Tasmania need a club or Northern Territory need a club. And, um, yeah, so I think where we've come from and, and, and to the position we're in now really sets us up to be uh, a stable force uh, for, for quite a few years. And like I said, I think jokingly people will sort of bring it up all the time, but I think we're starting to turn a few heads and, and sway a few people's opinions of, of us in, in how we've gone about it off the field. And, um, you know, obviously uh, the, the big thing people look at is the wins and loss column. So if we can start to, to turn that around, which uh, I'm quietly confident we can do over the next three or four years, um, hopefully that, yeah, will sway some opinions as well. Yeah, it's absolutely key, isn't it? Uh, they're easy pickings when you're sort of down towards the bottom of the ladder, but when you're, when you're having wins, uh, it makes... It makes that uh, argument a little bit harder to, to win. And, and, you, and you, I agree with you, Troy. You, it seems as though the Kangaroos have set a nice, solid foundation, but now it's, as it is always, it's about getting wins on the board. It, it, how do you feel about what they've got and where they are and what do you expect out of, you know, 2022? Well, um, as mentioned before, Poppy, you look at where we've come, you know, we're, yeah. we're on the verge of... Um, we had to have a vote, you know, um, about whether we go north or, or stay where we are and fight for, for where we um, where we need to go, and and that's the decision we made. And and you look you look back on that now, and you think, well, that's you know, an awesome um, foundation to, to launch a, um, into the future to, to really stabilise our club and and to look at where we've come from. Uh, when I first started, I was, you know we're training out of um, you know almost like Atco huts and as our our base, you know, offices and, you know, run-down um, change rooms and, and things like that. And you go down to Arden Street now and it's just, it's, you know, top-of-the-range um, stuff. You know, they've got uh, expansion plans as well. Um, you know, uh, the transition with the um, the president or the, or the CEO, um, you know, to have uh, Sonia Hood take over the, the reins now and really set us, launch us into the, to the next four or five years is really exciting times. And, um, you know, you look at, the unfortunate side, I guess, of finishing on the bottom of the ladder is, yeah, or the fortunate side of finishing on the bottom ladder, sorry, is you, you get the number one draft pick and you look yeah. at, um, you know, Jason Horn Francis is, uh, you know, by, by all reports is really setting the, setting the tone on the track and, yeah, it's really exciting times. Yeah, he's going to be a star, I think, Robin. Uh, just moving on from, from the Kangaroos, Troy, you, you recently played 72 holes of golf in one day at Trafalgar to raise money for the Cancer Council. How much, how much did, did you yeah. raise and, and how was the experience? Um, we raised just under $7,000, uh, which I think is a, nice. a fantastic effort. Um, yeah. You know, we had some, some really big donations. Um, you know, my uh, mother-in-law's husband um, did a massive donation, which was fantastic. Um, and just people across the board just... I think when I first put it up that I was doing it, I think I raised, uh, well, re-raised nearly $1,000 in the first day, uh, just people jumping on board, which was fantastic. Had some great sponsors as well, which um, helped make the day uh, flow a little bit easier. Uh, big ones like um, 
Clutch & Co, which is a past player of the North Melbourne Football Club, Dom Tyson's um, golf apparel company, um, jumped on board and, and donated some shirts and socks and hats, which was fantastic. Obviously, Traff Golf Club um, was awesome, allowing us to, to do it. Um, yep. It was a massive day. Uh, we were absolutely buggered by the end of it, but it was... Um, <laughs> Something that I'm good for nine holes. I'm serious. <laughs> I do. I play nine holes and I'm okay. I'm done for the day. I don't know how you yeah. do 72. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have, uh, I guess, uh, I won't look at it as cheating, but I needed it. It was have golf carts <laughs> for the day. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I remember the last nine holes, Poppy. Um, I was absolutely buggered. It was just uh, walk up, hit the ball, walk up, hit the ball. I wasn't even counting or probably. Yeah, delirious as to what I was doing, but yeah, um, the guys that were that helped out, you know, the guys that jumped on board and, and played um, were, were awesome, and it was a really good day. Something I'd, I'd, I'd like to do again. And, and just quickly, yeah. And just quickly before we let you go, Troy, you, as you said, you're living in Inara, and I believe you're a power station operator. What what kind of involvement do you have in in footy these days? Uh, I got four boys, so um, footy's pretty. Oh. Um, heavily involved in our family so um, I'm helping out at Mall Football Club I'm an assistant coach there in the seniors and also I'm going to coach the under 13s out at Yanar um, where my young fella's playing um, yeah so yeah there is a heavy involvement um, winter's pretty much taken care of in terms of time so yeah it's Good fun, but yeah, I look forward to the end of the season as well when I put the feet up and sort of get away for a little bit too. Yeah, good on you, mate. Hey, listen, uh, no doubt our paths will cross during the course of the year, given your role with Morwell. It's going to be a challenging year for the Tigers, but we're we're out of time right now. But I'd love to talk more about that, uh, given another opportunity, Makey. Hey, thanks for for uh, with four boys making the time on a Saturday morning for us. Uh, appreciate it, and just a quick shout out to my wife's uh, birthday today. So happy birthday, oh, Marcel! Mate, and, um, mate, fair income, my wife's birthday today as well. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, happy birthday to your wife too, mate. <laughs> and, and to Mrs. Makepeace, if you give her a big smooch for me, I'll give Jen a big smooch for you. <laughs> oh, you're a legend, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> good on you, Makey. Thanks, mate. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Well done. Troy Makepeace, one of the great guys, a real gentleman uh, of Gippsland, one of the good footballers that come out of this area as well. And as you uh, heard yourself, you know, still heavily involved, uh, an assistant at Morwell Tigers, a coach of the Yanar under-13s, four boys on the go, raising money for uh, great charities. You're listening to Gippsland, or Saturdays in Gippsland on SEN Track 91.3 and also in 91.9 in La Trobe Valley. And we're going to be back talking more sport in just a moment. Yeah, you are listening to Saturdays in Gippsland on SEN Track with Rob Popplestone and myself, Sam Watson. Rob, I'm just going to quickly tell you a story about right. Craig Willis. I like your stories. Many, many would know Craig as uh, the court announcer at Rod Laver Arena for many years. He's not doing it anymore. And also at the MCG after the AFL players exactly. win, uh, get their premiership medals. Uh, every year when Roger Federer comes to the Australian Open when Craig was uh, court announcing, he would give Craig a word to squeeze into his intros at one point throughout the tournament. Yes. <laughs> and uh, one time one time Craig was introducing Roger. Yes. And he's and Roger had given him a word. Yep. And he's going, okay, now introducing Roger Federer, 15-time Grand Slam champion. <laughs> he's won Wimbledon, won Dubai, won Madrid, won Thaggy. <laughs> and everybody in the crowd looked at each other, one Thaggy. He, init- he initially played it off as Thaggy was a small town uh, between 
uh, on the border of Switz- Switzerland and Liechtenstein, I yes. think, and said that was where uh, Roger's old friend, uh, <laughs> Roger's old friend, held the tournament that he uh, inevitably won. Uh, it, it later came out that yes, Roger does give him a word to uh, to to squeeze into his intros every summer, and uh, he found he found a way to do one thaggy there, and he. Roger gave him that word because our next guest, Gary Hamilton, his massage therapist at the time, is from the town of Wonthaggy. Unbelievable. Great and, story. Yeah, and so we'll, we'll speak to Gaz a little bit about that uh, right after this. Yeah, good morning, Gippsland. Rob Popplestone and Sam Watson popping in Swatter Talking Sport as we do every Saturday morning between 9 and 11. And as you heard, doing it live at Harvey Norman Wonthaggy. Just uh, had a chat with Troy Makepeace. A great story as he ventures from, of all places, Churchill to the Kangaroos and the sort of quality players and the sort of quality coaches that he played under, Mark Thompson, Dennis Pagan, and some of the best players ever to put on the footy boots at the Kangaroos in his time there, and a terrific gentleman to boot. Uh, this bloke, though, I'm really looking forward to having a chat with Gary Hamilton because to most people you say the name Gary Hamilton, you go, Gary Hamilton, Gary Hamilton, did I go to school with him? <laughs> Gary Hamilton, no, I don't quite know. Then you say, you know what, he's Roger Federer's masseuse you think wow what sort of a job would that be does he follow him all around the world he used to yeah he's since scaled back but i'm pretty sure he looks after him at the oz open when he does get out here roger but i suppose we'll have to find out yeah gary joins us right now morning gary how you going yeah good morning guys i tell you what uh, from afar roger federer looks like the dream client he's super talented he comes across as a super gentleman and an excellent family man, and he just happens to be one of the greatest sports people that's ever walked the earth. And you're preparing him to perform on a on a daily basis at some stages. To tell us how that came about. Yeah, well, I guess it really it was a it was probably a little bit of luck. I was um, I worked at the Australian Open, uh, you know, working for Tennis Australia in 2006 was my first year. Um, I was also working with the Australian cricket team at that stage and, um, and I just worked at the, the Commonwealth Games as well in Melbourne. And um, so I, I was very new and I just worked my, you know, my first year at the Australian Open. And uh, the following year, um, 2007, Rog actually flew into Melbourne early and I just had a call from, uh, from Melbourne Park that, you know, could you come in? Uh, he's looking to get a massage and, um, you know, we should be able to help him out. So that's where it started and... Uh, and, and from there, he sort of, you know, he said to me, look, do you think he can look after me for the whole tournament? So, um, of course, I was fairly excited on the uh, on the inside and pretty cool on the outside. But, uh, yeah, that's where it began, back in 2007. And and, and you, you jetted off around the world with, with Roger and his team in, in 2008. Did, did you see that coming when, when you first started working with him? And how hard was it to be away from your family and friends for an extended amount of time, Gaz? Yeah, look, I didn't expect to be. Yeah, didn't expect to be travelling overseas at all. And um, and I worked with him in, uh, at the Australian Open in 2008. And um, he actually got beaten by Novak Djokovic in the semi-final. And um, and Roger had been crook you know, during that tournament and uh, twice hospitalised. And um, but we didn't know what was actually wrong. They thought it was a food poisoning issue. But as it turned out, he had um, he had glandular fever. So he was he was fairly crook and. Uh, so at the end of that tournament, and, and that still wasn't diagnosed until he went back to Switzerland, but um, at the end of the tournament in 2008, uh, his coach then just asked me, you know, would I, would I be available to, to do a, you know, a trip to Europe? And uh, I thought, yeah, look, yeah, that's no problem. I could do a, a trip to Europe. And um, and then uh, I think 
probably uh, uh, you know, within the weeks later, he was diagnosed with glandular fever. And uh, then out of the blue, I got a I got an email in, in the morning from uh, one of his managers in Switzerland to to send my passport details as soon as possible. And then later, I had a call from his manager in the States, and he just sort of all in one sentence said, "Look, you know, as you know, Roger's got glandular fever. He'd like you to join the team. You know, we need to get him back on track. He'd like you to meet him in Monte Carlo or Rome. Uh, you know, then travel to to Germany, back to Switzerland, off to the French Open, through to Wimbledon." He said, uh, you can go home for a month if you like, and then he'd like you to join you at the Olympics in um, in Beijing. So that was all It was all a bit of a shock, really, and, uh, and I had to make a decision fairly quickly. And, um, and of course, the biggest decision was, yeah, actually being away from the family. So at that stage, you know, the, the boys were only um, 9 and 10 or something like this, and, uh, and um, my first trip away, I think I was away for, for 20 weeks. Um, although the family did come over to uh, Wimbledon and they spent five or six weeks in Europe as well. And, and what, what are some of your, your most memorable moments travelling around with Roger and can you give us an insight into the type of person that he is off the tennis court? Look, I think the travelling, uh, you know, just... Well, travelling's fantastic anyway and, um, you know, when someone else is paying for it, it's even better. But, um, <laughs> you know, you travel around to, um, you know... So all the great, you know, look, I love sport anyway. So, you know, sometimes you'd be sitting at, you know, I've, you know, I've seen a couple of, you know, French Open finals and Wimbledon finals. And sometimes you're just sitting there and you think, gee, please have a look at where I am. You know, this is really quite amazing. And, uh, you know, you're still going to travel. You're still living out of a suitcase, but you're certainly busy. So you're really busy every day. You know, every day you're at the courts, you know, you're going through some sort of treatment in the morning, you know, stretching or, you know, you're also working with a fitness coach in, in preparation, you know, you're, you're practicing, you're going to press conferences with him. So you are busy, you know, all day. Um, so that's, you know, you don't have much time. You do have a lot of time to look around, but you know, the cities, but um, you are fairly busy and, you're, you know, you're stuck to a schedule. But look, he's very easy to work with, you know, and the way you see him on TV and the way you see him speak, that's exactly how he is. You know, there's nothing put on there. Um, we have a bit more fun, you know, away from the cameras or away from the courts. And, uh, you know, his manager would say at times we behave like children, but um, that's all part of, uh, you know, being in a team. And, and, and it's important to get on with the whole team, you know, not just Roger. It's uh, the extended team and his extended family. It's, uh, you know, just important. You know, every week we talk to people that have, you know, made it on the big stage or a bigger stage than where they started and that's in Wonthaggy but I reckon this le- this story with you Gary is a ripper and, and, and we've got lots of these sort of stories that you know you could be a sportsman or you could be a professional that starts your career in in Wonthaggy or in every, any country town but if, if you're dedicated to what you do if you're a, if you're honest about what you do you know these opportunities don't come by chance they come as a result of a lot of hard work and I'm not sure that Look, actually, I, I am sure that you, that you realise what a great opportunity you've been given, and you reflect back on it now as as as, as something quite special. That yeah, one in a billion will get the opportunity to do. Oh, look, yeah, look, absolutely, and uh, and the, the funny thing, uh, quite often, at, especially at the Great Slams um, around the world, there's always generally before the tournament starts, we'll have um, we'll have some sort of uh, you know dinner party. You know, with Roger's friends from different countries and different parts of the world, and yeah. and it's always a bit of a tradition that we go around the table. Although we all know each other, we still go around the table. We introduce ourselves and how we became involved 
you know, or how we know each other or how we know Rog, all just over a game of tennis. And, um, you know, it's always interesting to hear everyone's stories, of course, because I'm from a little town in Montagui. Um, you know, I always have to go last. My stories always last because they, <laughs> I think they love to hear the Australian accent. And um, uh, Mary Jo Fernandez, who is married to Roger's manager, you know, ex, uh, an ex-tennis player, and I think she still works at ESPN. And, and Mary Jo named the guy from Montagui, you know, right from the start. So, um, yeah, so they always got a bit of a laugh, you know, when they, they realise what a small, a small village I live in. Yeah, but unfortunately we are running out of time, Gaz, but we could speak to you about Roger and all the stories that you've uh, got to share about him for an hour. But uh, just quickly before you let you go, what involvement do you have with tennis now? And also, do you think we'll see Roger back at the Oz Open? Um, yeah, well, first of all, look, I've just come back from the Australian Open, um, so I still just do the you know two or three weeks with, um, with Tennis Australia at the tournament. Um, which is always good. It's a it's a good opportunity to get out of you know my own little office here and um, you know catch up. We we have a good team and you catch up with all the other players we've met over the years. Um, with Rog, look, Rog messaged me just before Christmas and look, he's still got he's still got a way to go. He's had you know his third knee surgery now and um, and this one you know probably at best uh, if he comes back at best it would be Wimbledon. So um, you know. I don't know what he's going to do as far as retirement goes. He doesn't like the word very much, but um, you know he wants to do it on his own terms. But um, he's hoping that he can possibly come back by Wimbledon. But at, you know, at what level will depend on you know his fitness and and the rehab from his you know, his his latest knee surgery. He's forty now and forty one in August, so it's a you know it's a big ask. But he's a, you know if anyone could do it, it's probably him. Yeah, exactly right. One of the greats of all time. And uh, we thank you for giving us an insight, Gary, and uh, congratulations on what has been a great grin. And thanks for giving us the time this morning. Yeah, look, that's no worries at all, boys. Please uh, please help out. Uh, Good on you, Gary Hamilton there, the uh, masseuse. Massage therapist. Massage therapist. I apologise for Roger Ferreira. And and what a great chat that was because I, I really enjoy coming at sport from a different direction. Mm-hmm. You know, and those stories, the, the, the young bloke from Wonthaggy, who all of a sudden is part of the Roger Federer team, travelling to Monte Carlo and Rome. It's like a James Bond movie. But it started from Wonthaggy, and that's, uh, they're the sort of stories that you hear on Saturdays in Gippsland on SEN Track 91.3 in Southwest Gippsland and 91.9 on SEN Track Latrobe Valley. You can also listen live on the SEN app and obviously at sen.com.au. As I said, it's Saturdays in Gippsland, Rob Popplestone or Poppy and Sam Watson or Swatter talking sport as we do every Saturday morning live at Harvey Norman in Wonthaggy. Yes, indeed you are. Good morning, Gippsland. Uh, welcome to One Thaggy. That's where we are, live. And we do it every Saturday morning between 9 and 11. Rob Popplestone or Poppy and Sam Watson swat our talking sport with a focus on those that have achieved after starting their careers or their sporting careers or whatever it may have been in Gippsland. We just uh, had a great chat uh, with Gary Hamilton. We're just talking off air about how how great it was to get an insight into Gary Hamilton's association with Roger Federer, one of the absolute greats. And earlier, of course, we caught up with Troy, Troy Makepeace, a kangaroo star who started his career in Gippsland. And at the moment, he's an assistant coach at the Morwell Tigers and also coaching the under-13s at Yanar. Mm. Talking of footy too, I actually did some... I just wanted to bring this up because I'm wondering who the next team's going to be. Melbourne finished Premiers this year. The year prior, they finished ninth. Sam? So they've gone from ninth to first. Yep. The year before, Port Adelaide finished on top, but the year before that, they finished tenth. Mm-hmm. The year prior, Geelong finished on top, 
but the year before that, they finished eighth. Yep. Year before that, Collingwood, your side, finished 13th and then finished fourth. Well, they were runners-up in the grand final. Uh, yeah. Really second, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. GWS finished 11th and then fourth themselves. At some stage between now and the end of the show, I want to find out which team is going to be the big improver in 2022. Sounds good. Brenton Jones, uh, favourite for the Tour of Gippsland, coming up next. G'day Gippsland, welcome back. Not that you've gone anywhere if you've been with us since 9 o'clock and that's what we do. We talk sport from 9 o'clock through until 11 o'clock with a focus on those who have achieved from Gippsland. We've had a couple of great interviews already and looking forward to our next guest, Brenton Jones. But we should make mention too, just before we go to uh, Brenton, that cycling as a sport is in Europe what AFL is for us here in Australia Sammy, it's absolutely huge, and this particular bloke's had the chance of being part of great teams in Europe over the years. In fact, almost a decade, I read, and I'd be interested to get a bit of an insight into how that how that uh, journey's been for Brenton Jones, who joins us right now. Hey, Brenton, how are you going? Morning, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. How are you going? Yeah, really good, thank mate. Absolute pleasure for us. Uh, we spoke with uh, your mum last week, and really interested to take the next step this week, because she made mention that you're in... South Australia for the tour down under and I sort of spent nearly three decades in South Australia with a bloke called Mike Tedder, uh, Turter who you'd be familiar with and he put yep. together a dream of his in the tour down under and over the over the years it's turned out to be a sort of a must visit event for a lot of European cyclists as preparation for their upcoming season. How have you found the tour down under? Yeah absolutely I think uh this year, in a, in a lower form, I guess, in the Santos Festival of Cycling and some of those Europeans yeah. that couldn't come over here for this year and last year, it was still great to be a part of a, a nice event, um, big organisation. They still made uh, everyone feel welcome and, and like a like a tour and that normally is on, you know. So uh, the Festival of Cycling was a great opportunity for Australia's best to, to mix it with some of the Australian pros that are still here before they head to Europe. Um, and the racing was fantastic. So, uh, yeah, really, look, really looked forward to it. Well, I reckon one of the uh, biggest hurdles for cyclists is actually one of the biggest hurdles for people on radio. And that's the wind. And that's what we're putting up with right now. Uh, what, were the weather condition, what were the weather conditions over there for the tour like? Yeah, it sounds like you're on a boat. Um, we, uh, it was not too bad. It was, it was warm. It was warm, yep. but uh, the wind was down. The last day, there was a little bit of wind. We tried to split it in the crosswinds, but it didn't happen. It wasn't strong enough. So uh, the wind was kind to us most of the week, which was good. And so you, you got through the event all right. Tell us a little bit about the upcoming event for those people around Gippsland because we're going to see some of the you know, great cyclists uh, in, their, in our own backyard over a three-day period. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the Mitchelton uh, Tour of Gippsland is going to offer a lot of uh, opportunity for riders um, on the climbing and the sprinting side of the discipline of the sport to... Uh, present themselves a, a chance to win some nice stages. There's some amazing terrain around Woolamai, Inverloch and Real in the final day in the Criterium, which is probably going to suit me. Um, so I think, yeah, spectators are going to look forward to seeing, uh, like I said, Australia's best come down to Gippsland, ride the road that I've trained on all my life so far in my career. Um, and like I said, the, the terrain and the courses this year are fantastic. So, uh, yeah, big shout out to, to Mum, the event organiser, for uh, putting on a, a nice event there and the, the courses, which I hope uh, make for an exciting race. 
Yeah, we're, we're pretty excited about it ourselves. Hey, I mentioned in the intro just the, the enormity of the sport throughout Europe. Give us a bit of an insight into your experiences in Europe and the, and the way the sport's embraced. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, like your intro, like you said, the AFL uh, here, how big it is here, is, is like cycling over there. They, they live and breathe it. They are so passionate about it. Everyone's so supportive. Um, if you're a professional over there, you're uh, very highly respected, I guess, as a cyclist and doing what you do. It's a hard, hard sport to try and make it in. Um, and I think I spent many years over there. I think uh, two of my best years were with the French team, Delco Marseille, lived in Marseille, uh, spoke a bit of French, lived in France in my little apartment there for a couple of years, raced Paris-Roubaix. Paris-Nice um, and did some of the world's biggest races which was fantastic and, and travelled the world doing what I love. Yeah, it's amazing isn't it where, and we spoke earlier with Gary Hamilton who's the massage therapist for Roger Federer, born and bred yep. in Montheguin, finds himself travelling to places like Monte Carlo and Rome with Roger and very much a part of the team. Do, do, at those instances when you've got your apartment in France you sort of reflect back and go how the hell did I get here? Take us through the story of how you did. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I guess it all started with, uh, you know, getting into the sport through, through my dad and my family and, you know, then encouraging myself to, to follow my dreams, I guess. And if I wanted to be a professional cyclist, you know, put your head down, work hard through it, finish school um, and knuckle down to, to what you need to do and, and try and make it overseas. And I did that. And I uh, had, a, had a great few years overseas, and unfortunately COVID put a bit of an end to that, but I'm still racing here and, and doing what I love still to this day, which is great. But, uh, yeah, the progression was, was quite hard through the National Road Series, which I still race in today, but to come from there, sign my pro contracts and start living in, and riding in Europe for the last seven, eight years has been, uh, been a dream, you could say. And uh, like you said, uh, I wouldn't have imagined being in Year 9 French class that I would have been needing my French uh, 10 years later. <laughs> and uh, my tutor in French, who helped me, learn a bit more French before I did go back there in, in 2017 and 18. Uh, she said, uh, I knew, Brenton, you would need it in the future. You always said you wanted to ride the Tour de France or, or live overseas and race uh, for a French team, and now you are. So uh, it was quite funny. Well done. Now, Brenton, I spent <laughs> hours preparing for this show, and the wind has derailed us in, 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 a, in a small way, but I'm sure you spent uh, lots of, not, not just hours, but months and years preparing for events all across the world. How are your preparations going for the Tour of Gippsland and um, what, what's it like to compete in a sport where one little mistake uh, can, can, can ruin months of preparation? Yeah, absolutely. No, preparation's going really well. I've had a good start to the year and the form's, uh, form's really there. So I think uh, depending on what our team's plans are at uh, Inform Team X Make, we're going to We'll see if uh, I'm the protected rider or if we've got a few other young guys that I'm going to help look after like I did in Adelaide um, where I let out my teammate Blake Quick to two stage wins. So uh, my form is personally going well. Um, the course is pretty challenging. The Woolamine, the first stage, has got a hard climb. So uh, hopefully I can get over that one and be there at the finish for the sprint. But uh, yeah, as you said, the, the little preparations um, need to be 100%. You need to do the one percenters and make sure that uh, you're ready to go for your competition. If you have one small setback, you get sick, you miss a day's training, or you have a little injury, it's going to knock you back. And uh, especially um, coming into the race, you know, you have to be on it the whole time, and one mistake can cost you the win. Yeah, hey, Brent, where, where are you in your career at the moment? You've been in the game for a long time now. Where, where do you currently sit, and, and what are your aspirations, sort of looking forward, short-term, long-term? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I've, I would love to have been back in Europe and would love to be in Europe and still be competing at that professional level. 
I know yeah. I could. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess now uh, it's a it's a fine line between transitioning to maybe the coaching side of things. I'm working a lot in the coaching space here in Australia with uh, with younger educational programs in schools, coaching one on one, running mountain bike clinics, um, helping schools like Scotch College in Melbourne on the road with their cycling team. So there's a lot of that opportunity that's progressing themselves at the moment, um, and I really am passionate about that area. But uh, at the same time, I'm racing very well at the moment and uh you know if there was an opportunity that came up then it would be one to think about um otherwise yeah racing with informed team x make here in australia to support the next generation coming through good on you now as you said brenton you've been involved in the sport for a long time but what what other sports did you play as a youngster and do you follow do you follow them closely now yeah still follow a few sports i was a, a very good soccer and tennis player going through the years and had to stop that when I took up cycling full-time back when I was about 16, but played them for many, many years, both maybe nine, ten years each, the soccer and tennis, and that was uh, good. My little brother still plays for Warrigal United, and I know a lot of people there that play for the seniors team there, um, and then my, my wife is a media manager at Western United, the A-League oh. team, so they're, I think, second on the ladder at the moment, um, and I follow them quite closely too. We'll have, we'll have to get her on the show, I reckon, Rob. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think they had a win. Did they? They had a win the other night too, didn't they? Who they beat no, the other they, night during the course of the week? Two-two. They were up. They were up two-two. Oh. Um, but they had a win the the game before, I think. But they drew two-two yeah. with uh, Central Coast. Yeah. Fun, funny, funny story, Rob and Brenton. I used uh, Western United in my FIFA manager career recently yeah. on the PlayStation. Oh, did you? Right. <laughs> three, three titles on the trot. Oh, he's got three titles on the trot. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I took it, took an offer in, in uh, England, so had to move on from Western United. <laughs> You're a champ. You're an absolute... Good hey, speaking about your wife, then, who's got the role with Western United and yourself, given the demands of cycling, how, do you, how, how does that work between the two? You get to yeah, see each other much? Oh, sometimes, but I think we've we've been used to that our whole career. When uh, I'm the one travelling around and you know going off yeah. to China for three weeks to race and then come back to to France and and go back home again and you know it's a constant uh, a constant roller coaster and you're always living out of a suitcase. So for me, the travel is is quite fine. And then uh, my wife Lucy puts up with it too, and she understands the commitments. And uh, now she's the one in the suitcase sometimes as well, following the team around. So we're we're both uh, used to it and understand the commitments, I guess, of what our what our sports and roles are do. Yeah, uh, look, we'll be following you around and uh, and the whole peloton that uh, makes their way to this particular area for this year's Mitchelton tour of Gippsland. Bretton Jones joins us this morning. Thanks for your time, Bretton. No worries, thanks. Come out and watch the racing. Uh, it'll be good. Good on you, mate. Bretton Jones there, uh, one of the stars of cycling, uh, one of the stars of this area. There's no question about that. And he'll be performing with some of the best in the world at this year's Mitchelton tour of Gippsland, which is only days away now. You'll get to see them at... Uh, on three days around Wamthaggy and Inverloch, uh, it's it's really if you have my well, my Inverloch and Rill, I'm pretty sure. The yeah. Goes. So if you get the opportunity, you haven't seen it before. It's colourful, it's fast. Uh, there's a lot of excitement on the street around it. So usually these events have uh, great street parties and and uh, the communities really embrace them. And I'm sure that the, the Mitchelton tour of Gippsland, organised as uh, Bretton said by his mum, who's uh, who's an absolute ripper. Will be, uh, will be something to get involved with as well. Hey, listen, it's uh, Saturdays in Gippsland on SEN Track 91.3 Southwest Gippsland and 91.9 SEN Track Latrobe Valley. It's Poppy and Swatter talking sport as we do every Saturday morning from Harvey Norman, Wonthaggy. A short break, talking more sport in just a minute. Yeah, Rob Popplestone and Sam Watson talking sport. What uh, probably sounds like us on a boat, as Brenton Jones pointed out, he's actually just asked that Harvey Norman, Wonthaggy, a windy 
wind. very windy one thing. We'd be getting less wind on a boat at the moment. <laughs> Truly, you look around and it appears to be a slight breeze, but as Britton Jones pointed out, it sounds like we're on a boat. We're doing our best. We're talking sport as we do every week, and one of our regulars is a really great guy, Bo Vernon. Bo Vernon joins us right now. Hey, Bo, how are you going? Yeah, good, Rob. Good, Sam. Is, is that you guys? I thought it was um, my end uh, making the wind, so I'm happy. I'm happy it's you guys, not me. <laughs> you, at, uh, you at Little Athletics this morning, Bo? Yeah, yeah, Little Ass this morning. So, uh, yeah, I was just taking the under sixes and under sevens for oh, a few fantastic. events. Good, good fun, actually. Oh, great days. Great days with the athletics. All, all good fun. In fact, a great foundation for whatever sport you choose to play. Great for... Uh, Great for the kids to learn what it's all about. I, I really love those days and love my children getting involved in little athletics. How are yours going? They're going all right? We've spoken about them a couple oh, of times. Yeah, I've only got my daughter. She's only one older, old enough sorry, to, to do it. So, yes, she's running around with a big smile on her face, running the races, looking at everyone and, uh, yeah, just cruising along and, and all that. Yeah, but it's, uh, I, did, I did athletics when I was younger. I used to love coming down and getting involved and yeah I felt like it held me in good stead for my, my sporting career as well yeah what, what was your sport as a, as a kid at athletics what was your what was your events I won a few state medals in um, long jump and high jump and oh, really? yeah as, uh, yeah as I got older yeah, probably the 400 would be yeah. my type of distance yeah for running you, you, as well so what, yeah what, what height were what, what height you babe because you don't come across as a really like, you know, you look at high jumpers uh, in yes. particular. Yeah. You just had a great Collingwood, look about you. Yeah, Collingwood, Collingwood six-footer, I'd reckon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, hey, yeah you, so. you, you see some great photos on social media of, and, and we're going to chat about Ash Barty, but you see some great photos of Ash Barty when she was a little tacker. Looked, she looks to be seven or eight years old holding a trophy, and who would have known at that stage that she was going to be one of the world's best, but... She's become one of the world's best, and she seems to be in a really good place at the moment, and probably on top of a game boat. Oh, how, how good is she as an athlete? Yeah. Like, this is a role model to, I think, to younger kids coming through, but just the general population itself. Like, how she conducts herself, how she holds herself, and and you know, I know she does a bit with Ben Crow, and I'm not sure if you guys are too familiar with Ben Crow, no. um, but. Um, yeah, he works. Yeah, he works with her and Dylan Alcott, Trent Cochin, Richmond Footy Club, and you know some some really good athletes. That you know they. The big thing is like like human being before human doing. So who you are as a person is far more important than what you achieve in in your life. Um, so yeah, I just really you know, and Ash Barty comes across like that. It's just more important about who she is as a person, and obviously she wants to go well with her tennis and do well there, and she trains extremely hard for that. But it doesn't define her as, as a person, and um, yeah, I think it's similar to you know, even you know, say local level. Just because you're one of the best players doesn't mean you're you're a great bloke, and um, I think that being a great person far more important than how good you are at certain things or, or what you achieve. Now, now to a regular sports fan, a mindset coach would, would sound pretty baffling, I would have thought. Bo, can you give us an insight into what somebody like Ben Crow would do with, uh, with Ash Barty in terms of coaching? Yeah, um, well, I think it would be just talking about who she is as a person, who she wants to be, um, you know, where she wants to get to and then how, how do you get there, but then also just embracing her for who she is and 
and not needing to be someone else. Um, so, you know, like I know one of these things is embrace, embrace your weird um, and, and like who you are as a person. And um, yeah, I, I think certain things like that. I've actually just signed up to one of his courses, okay. which I'm looking to do. Um, yeah, I haven't actually started. I only signed up, yeah, a couple of days ago and I'm being a bit busy with work. So yeah, I look to start that over the next couple of days and uh, yeah, really looking forward to it actually. Though I, I ask this question with the greatest respect because you've been confronted with one of the you know the biggest hurdles in life, you know, a, a talented young sportsman that has to confront, uh, you know, now being in a wheelchair. And I, I wonder what your mindset was like at that point, you know, getting through that point. And I, I know you've probably spoken about it before, and I've, I've, I haven't, I don't know of what you went through, but I'd be interested to know how you got through it and how your mindset played a role in becoming the person you are today. Much respected and very successful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose, um, yeah, people look at my situation and go, you know, it'd be really hard and it, no doubt it was hard, but, you know, you look at my, I look at my life now. I've got a fantastic life and um, so many good things in it and, yeah, I don't have a couple of things, um, you know, like the use of my legs and, and fingers and stuff like that, but... I um I have so many so many good things and sometimes I think it's a little bit easier for me because someone you know just knows that you would have challenges that you'd face through this situation but every single person has their own challenges unique to themselves that they um you know like struggle with and have different things going on and and sometimes that can be harder because it's not a visual a visual thing that you can see. So, um, yeah, just on that. But anyway, in terms of my mindset and how I went through, I, geez, community support was a huge one for me. Um, yeah. You know, more, uh, motivating, one motivating factor, a big motivating factor for me was the amount of support I received and messages and fundraisers and different things. And my way to say thank you was just to make the most of my life. And, and then I suppose I had a moment five weeks after hurt myself where I was just like, oh, I literally couldn't do anything. I just sat there and cried uncontrollably. And it was like, well, do I want to sit there and cry the rest of my life and feel sorry for myself? Um, or do I want to try and make the most of what I've got and live the best life I can I can live? And, you know, um, it's not like you click your fingers and then it all, all of a sudden happens. Um, you know, you have your ups and downs along the way, but that was a big moment in my life to go, fuck, I don't want to sit here and just do nothing my whole life. And, and feel sorry for myself. I want to still try and feel that joy, happiness, and contribute to the world. Yeah, and, and you've certainly achieved that. And, and I think that that sort of mindset is is sort of you know you, you've 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 given that to the people that plan to you because everyone we talk to that's had an association with you has the greatest respect, and, and they respect you as the person you you are, and and don't see. Your disability, and 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 I've I've had that conversation with so many people since we had our first chat of a few weeks ago. But I mean that for anyone who loves sport, being respected by your peers is is probably the most important thing that you can take out of your association with anything. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, respect is so important, and um, yeah, very fortunate. Like whether it be at Lane Gaffer or Phil Bond, um, yeah. had great people. Involved at the involved at the club and um, you know like yeah I don't know it's just yeah we're good communities and um, great people and it's good places to be around and it's pretty easy to coach when you when you got that so 
But in terms of my situation, a lot of people will quite often ask, or oh, what are the um, yeah, difficulties of coaching in a wheelchair? And I think the number one thing in coaching is relationships and, and that respect and, um, and different things there. So I find it actually easier coaching in a wheelchair than if I wasn't because I feel like I've got that respect off people um, through going through what me and my family have had to go through, um, through you know, the quadriplegia and stuff like that. Yeah, and talking about coaching, I guess the most recently controversial or most discussed coach, at least, has been Justin Langer. And you compare, you know, old school type coaching and more modern day thinking coaching. What are your thoughts uh, from afar on Justin Langer's predicament, but just on coaching in general? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a unique situation, isn't it? Because yeah. I don't know. From the from afar, it looks like far out the coaches turned around at, um, within the team and looks like the players play for each other and a unity and the energy that they bring compared to say yeah England and I remember seeing um, I've got a mental blank on the keeper's name drop a catch and Joe Burns yeah. Uh, scary. yeah yeah um, Joe Root sorry is um, right next to him and did not look at him did not say a word and I'm like that bloke feels so small right now and the captain's not even getting over to him. Where Australia, I felt like there was just so much energy and um, got around each other and and generated wickets and runs through that uh, that I thought it looked like a great culture. So yeah, I'm a bit yeah. bit unsure of what the ins and outs of it is. But when you look watching Australia play cricket, it's it's uh, it looks pretty amazing. It looks like they're enjoying that cricket. It looks like there's good unity. It looks good connection and it looks like good people. So yeah. It's um, it's a weird one, isn't it? What are your thoughts? Oh, look, I'm not sure too. I, I think what what it is 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 a is a conflict of exactly what we sort of were talking about, the old and the new. I, fr- from afar, mm. you sort of get bits and pieces, and he's become a bit of a micro manager. And you know, uh, I, I think I think good sides. And we talked about this earlier with um, Troy Makepeace. There was a there's a there seems to be a bit of a spontaneity. Uh, about those playing for the Australian cricket team, a real good unity between the team. And then you've got a coach who, off-field, wants to probably manage, micromanage a little bit closer. You know, where are you going? What are you doing? Do you want to be out too late? Are you drinking too much? Um, up against the Could side that's performing Could you be going to a well. restaurant? Yeah. Could you be yeah. going to a restaurant and getting COVID? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a really tough situation. And probably coaching, it seems, and I don't really understand coaching in cricket so much, Bo, but... You know, it, it seems that coaching in cricket isn't as important as coaching in a football. There's not that, there's not that control over a team that you have in other sports. Yeah, it does seem very. Um, player, players have a have a very big say um, yeah. at a like management level. It seems like you know, like I feel like in terms of the way we want to play and the way we want to do that. That yeah, I don't know. Players have a big say in the teams that I'm involved in. I just see myself as a facilitator, but it feels like they're, they're making decisions to the board and, and all this sort of stuff as well. I don't, yeah, um, no, I compared don't, to other I don't know how I'd go as a coach, Bo, and I don't know how you'd go as a coach if the players were telling me what to do and what they wanted. I don't reckon it works that way in our sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, um, for me personally, I feel like, yeah, you, I listen to that and, you know... Um, yeah, you have those relationships where you can sure. have those conversations and um, work together as a group to 
get the best possible outcome. So yeah, I'm not yeah, it's it is weird in cricket though. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens or unfolds this week with Justin Lambert. Mm. Maybe when we we get a decision, then uh, you and I and Sammy can have a chat about it in the in the next week or the yeah. week after. It'd be weird <laughs> if he gets appointed appointed coach as well. Like, how does he how does he feel towards the players? Uh, yeah, if he does get appointed coach as well, yeah. You, you, you feel as though if he did get appointed now, there's going to be that conflict between players and coach. So, yeah. I think he's I think he's on a bit of a hiding to nothing. A bit like us yeah. down here at One Thirty at the moment in the wind. <laughs> hey, hey, both, mate. Thanks for making the time again this morning. Uh, good luck to your daughter at Little Athletics, and uh, can't wait to have a chat with you next week. Yeah, cheers, Robin, Sam. All the best. Doing a great job, fellas. Good on you, both, mate. Good man, Bo Vernon, the coach at Phillip Island. But he's a lot more than that, as you heard. He's he's got a lot to offer, and I I love that that mindset approach. To you know, that's you talk about good being great and great mm. going to an elite level it's those little one percenters you know yep. you the difference have we got time for a quick chat 30 seconds 45 seconds yeah i was going to say because you know even in a football side people wonder how they can improve their game from getting you know 15 16 touches to 20 22 touches and that and that extra half that extra five or six touches brings you from one level to the next and it comes just through a little bit of hard work, a bit more running, a bit more thinking, a bit, just a bit more. And I reckon that's where Bo's going with his mindset. How can I improve myself that one percent, and then pass it on to my players? So for those opponents of Phillip Island this week uh, or this year, <laughs> look out, you're in trouble. Uh-oh. Phillip Island's been good; they're going to get better. Yeah. As I hope we do here. Yeah, I hope he'll come to baskets better as well. Yeah. There's only one way. It's up. <laughs> yeah. Saturdays in Gippsland on SE in track 91.3 Southwest Gippsland 91.9 SE in track. Latrobe Valley, Rob Popplestone and Sam Watson, Poppy and Swatter talking sport outside. Harvey Norman, one thing he will do a little bit more just after this. Yes, you are listening to Saturdays in Gippsland with Rob Popplestone and Sam Watson. Coming up next as a part of our weekly uh, deep dive into Gippsland sporting clubs, particularly successful ones over a long period of time. Last week it was the Mafra Footy Club. It was, and we spoke to their president, John Brunt. Coming up next will be Robbie Geyer, who's had a lot to do with the Wanthagi Club, Cricket Club, who have become known in at least South Gippsland, in, in our in our parts of Gippsland, as a premiership factory in cricket. And, and I say that because since 1994, they've won 16 premierships oh. in, in the top flight in, in A1. Is that a, is that was that a was that a mistake you written you wrote down on the paper or is that fact sixteen? That's fact, that's fact. I thought you might have, that one might not have been there. <laughs> Shouldn't have. sixteen premierships? Sixteen in what's that 26, 27 years? Yeah, yeah, about yeah, nearly twenty eight years. Yeah. And have they lost any in that time? They would have uh, lost probably lost a, a handful. Of, prob- yeah, they've, they've so uh, they've been in seventy five percent. Yeah, they. Uh, There'd be a few finals, uh, finals or semi-finals that they yeah. bowed out in, so they're always around the mark. And yeah, we're going to speak to Robbie about why they've been able to be so successful for so Amazing. long. And listeners, we still we're still after a, a name for this segment, so oh, okay. sing out, sing out. But I reckon we'll have one by next week. All right, sounds good. All right, that we'll, that chat with Robbie Geyer will be coming up right after this. Yes, you are listening to Saturdays in Gippsland with Sam Watson and Rob Popplestone, and our next guest, Rob is somebody who's had a lot to do with sport in, in South Gippsland, one thaggy in particular, and he was president of the one thaggy club, cricket club, for, uh, he'll, he'll tell us how long, but quite a long time. And the one thaggy club, cricket club are our team, our club this week that we're 
doing a deep dive into and figuring out how they've been able to have so much success in the area. Well, you made the point they've won 16 premierships since 1994. Yeah, in A1, in the top division. Uh, unbelievable. Have you ever played in a premiership yourself? In an A2 premiership, I have. Yeah, well, that, that's, yeah. that's to me, that's still a premiership. Like, yeah. I, I was lucky enough to play in one premiership over a career of over 20 years, and I don't think people realise, and I certainly didn't until you reflect back, what a what a, uh, what a great experience it, it was. Is. But to get 16, there's probably some blokes that have played in all 16 of them. There, there, probably. There, there, might, there, might be a, there might be, I'm not sure all 16, but there'd be a couple that are reaching double digits at one saggy club. Yeah, well, Rob Guy is the man who's on the line right now. Hey, Rob, how are you going? Yeah, good, thanks, Rob. Yourself? Yeah, really, really good, although very, very jealous of uh, the success you've had. And I guess that's a, it's a compliment to, to the one saggy club cricket club. Is there, was there a secret formula to achieving such success over the years it's because it's quite extraordinary record uh not sure if there's a secret secret formula but um we had some seriously driven competitive guys that um would not only compete against the opposition but also themselves every saturday it was game on to see who would be the man to get the job done yeah and and, and sam made the point just off air that uh, one of the greatest things about the club is it's it, it's very local driven. There's not a lot of outside people that come in. And and last week we spoke to the Mafra Footy Club, and and just by coincidence or or maybe not, they they're in the same boat. Yeah, no, we never never ventured out of one Aggie really. All all the boys are homegrown, and most of them probably played junior cricket there. Um, apart from probably the two Bram boys that come from. Rochester, but they, you know, they were started living in Wonsag and turned up at the club and never left. Yeah, you know, one of the great things about being part of a successful club, and this is from the outside looking in, because uh, I was just saying to Sam that over in South Australia, the Port Adelaide Magpies and the local competition were very much in the same boat. They were hated by everyone, and they were hated partly because of being so successful. Um, but that hatred towards them actually drives them even harder. It, uh, it's and it's what good sides do. They respond to that sort of that sort of uh, you know uh, action from their opponents. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we were definitely well hated by <laughs> by the oppositions, but um, they also had good respect for us. We yes, we always had yes. a beer, beer with them after the games and stuff. But yeah, I think we're definitely. Close to the most hated side, maybe Aston Mike might have to cover, but would be second in line, I reckon. I was, I was going to ask you about Outram. Um, as you said, they're one of the powerhouses as well, Rob. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you think that? Do you think that the the rivalry with them, um, along with the, the kind of hatred, if you want to put it that way, from the from other clubs, do you think the rivalry with Outram has, has spurred one saggy club to be as best as it has, as good as it has? Sorry. Yeah, definitely. We. Um, Really, really loved. I know they won't like hearing that, but we loved um, coming up against the Lee and Gaffer teams and Outram being one of the teams in there that have always been strong right through the grades. Um, early days, the Imperials Cricket Club, um, even Lee and Gaffer Town, all, all, all them sides, we really loved get, getting into and, and, you know, most times in the finals, getting the better of them. And, and we, we've, we've been speaking to... Bo Vernon, a little bit about mindset in in sport and uh, yep. and in life, Robbie. But in in with one saggy club, is, is there a mindset? Because I've noticed in, in there's a few grand finals that I've watched one saggy club play, and 
and they, they look to be out of it, but they somehow find a way to win. Is there a mindset that's that's uh, talked about, or is it just adopted by everybody that seems to play in the senior side? Uh, it's probably a mindset from, from our champion players. They just never, never, ever chucked it in. Um, and then we had great depth in our mainly in our batting, sort of didn't matter where we were, we always had faith that someone in, you know, our top eight would get the job done, get enough runs for, you know, the guys like Ash Satori and them to do the job with the ball. Um, yeah, we, we had, unbel- we were lucked in, we had some of the best cricketers you'll, you know, in Gippsland area that you'd ever want to play cricket with. And, and who are some of those cricketers, Robbie, for the listeners who uh, might not know? Oh, well, probably top of the list come finals time was Gab Boulding. Um, Gab Britt would be another one who was an absolute champion. Uh, Jay Baker. Uh, the two brands, Dave Brand and Aussie Brand, just loved getting runs when they got in. They never never went out. Tim Tim Hooper come back from Dandenong Cricket Club. He started at the club and then went down to Dandenong and dominated down there and then come back home. And I think captain coached us maybe to... Four flags, I think. So it's great to have him back, and he's another real competitive type of guy. Hates losing anything, let alone a game of cricket. See, any other club, uh, Poppy would know exactly how many flags a coach coached them to. Yeah. But one thank you club, that they yeah, win so I, many. They yeah, lose yeah. Tracks. He might have coached four or five yeah, premierships. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. might have. Yeah, I might have played in seven or eight. <laughs> Could have been nine actually. Exactly. Now, I tell you what, Rob. You know. It's a look. It's a great position to be in, and it's not only the players though. That it's it's the administrators. I reckon good clubs. It's 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 everywhere from the bloke that you know that, that cleans the rooms to the bloke that runs the you know that's president of the club. Everyone seems to be pulling in the yep. same direction, and that's in every in every successful club. And I say that without, as I ask this question, do you find that's the, the some of the you know important elements of your club? Absolutely, and you know not only that we. We enjoyed each other's company too. Yeah, we yeah. had a group, core group of guys that just, even through the winter, would catch up and go away with our families and stuff. We we have, you know, and we're still all best mates now. I suppose that's what happens when you, you know, go into battle in finals. You sort of get a bond with the guys. But we we're, we're really tight, tight teams. We all the way through, and you know, that's why I suppose we never lost too many players to other clubs. We hmm. sort of stuck with each other and got on the, you know, the premiership gravy train, really. It was unreal. <laughs> and, and as Rob said uh, just before, we spoke to John Brunt from Mafra last week. And similarly to, to Mafra, you guys missed finals in, in A1 for the first time yep. last season in a very in a very long time. Would have been 15 to 20 years. How, how has the club responded? And, and do you think that they're premiership uh, contenders once again this season? Yeah, no, the boys took it really hard. They're still hurting from that now. Um, just had one of them years where none of the guys could get a, get runs and look, they're working really hard to turn it around. Um, our A1's quite a young young side, but um, they've all been spoilt too. A lot of them have played a heap of premierships like Ryan Thomas and James Sheeran and Mitch Thomas. You know, they're only around their 30 years of age or 28. Around that age, they've got plenty of cricket in them and... Um, yeah, they hate losing. So I know, I, I know how much they're hurting from last year. I think it's probably only the second or third time in our time in LDCA that we've missed finals. So they really took that hard, and they're keen as mustard to bounce back. But 
they'll be up against it. Philip Island have got a pretty good side, and there's some other, you know, learning at the town with their Sri Lankan boys are pretty hard to, you know, they'll have to be at the top of their game to get them, but we generally bring it in the finals. If we can get in there, I'm sure they'll go well. Yeah, and Rob, uh, one of the young, young stars that uh, Robbie's speaking about is his son Alex, who's been taking quite a few wickets this season, okay. actually. But um, just before we let you go, Robbie, what about uh, what are you up to in sport at the moment in, in terms of one thaggy, and uh, and how is it in Tasmania where you are now? Yeah. Well, we're up at uh, what is it, Battery Point, uh, having a coffee before we go and uh, attack a pub somewhere. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I've uh, taken on the role of the president of the One Thaggy Golf Club, and you know, enjoying that. It's a big job. It's a lot bigger job than the cricket club was, but. Um, yeah, yeah, enjoying it, loving it, having a game of golf, and it's a pretty social sort of golf, but it's still good just the same. Yeah, good on you, mate. Listen, thanks for your time. Thanks for giving us thanks insight into the Wonthaggy Club Cricket Club. Uh, the success over the last few decades has been extraordinary. Hey, mate, wish you well with the Wonthaggy Golf Club. Thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Good on you, Robbie Guy. There, the uh, president now of the Wonthaggy Golf Club, but. Yep. Uh, instrumental as were so many people in the success of the One Thank you Club Cricket Club and each and every week uh, Sam organises a, a chat with a successful sporting club as uh, we pointed out a few times there the Mafra Footy Club has been one don't uh, think there'll be too many more successful than Mafra and One Thank you Club we're going to have no, to there's no. not many spring to mind but I'm sure there's, there's plenty out there you know what I, I, might have, I, I might have to pull out a blast from the past from the Trelgan Footy Club yep that had success over a long period of time. Yep. That happened as soon as I left the club. Now, <laughs> I'm sure that was probably just a coincidence. Oh, I, I hope so. <laughs> I would hope so too. You're listening to Saturdays in Gippsland on SEN Track 91.3. That's in southwest Gippsland and 91.9 SEN Track, Latrobe Valley. It's Poppy and Swatter talking sport as we do every Saturday morning. And we're doing it at Harvey Norman in Wonthaggy. We're in the car park. Who would have guessed? With that wind in the background, the truck horns going past and people screaming out, Sam! Sam! Hey! I love you, Sammy! That's true. It's serious. It happens every Saturday morning. <laughs> we are back talking more sport in just a moment. Yeah, for those who have persevered through the wind, we thank you. And we, uh, we're doing our best to keep the wind out of our mics and, uh, and give you a good show here on Saturdays in Gippsland. Rob Popplestone and Sam Watson talking sport as we do on a Saturday morning outside Harvey Norman in Wonthaggy. We made the point earlier on that every single year there's an AFL side from outside the eight the previous year that popped their head up. Melbourne, who won the premiership in the year just gone, were ninth in the year prior. Port Adelaide, who were tenth in the year prior to that, finished top. Uh, Geelong, who were eighth, finished top. Collingwood, who were 13th, finished fourth and overbeaten in the Premiership. Is that Don't right? Don't remind me. Don't yeah. Remind me. And GWS, who were 11th, finished fourth. So every single year over the last five years, and I only looked the last five years, there's been a side from outside the eight who popped their head up. The question is, who is it going to be this year? Now, outside the eight, listen to this, Sammy. West Coast, ninth. Mm. What are your thoughts? Possibly. Uh, I think I think they'll actually miss finals again, West Coast. Is that right? St Kilda were 10th. They promised plenty. Delivered donuts, really. They're, they're, a, chance, they're a chance to make finals. Don't think premiership contenders. Uh, Fremantle, 11th. Definitely a smoky. Not a not a premiership contender, but they'll be in the mix. There's been talk that my side, Richmond, might bounce back. Ugh, I hope so, but I'm not mm. sure. What do you think? They're 12. I think they can. It just we'll, we'll see. We'll find out pretty early in the season whether they're capable. I think. And pretty early too for Carlton because usually, mm. uh, well, not usually. This year's the same. Richmond will play Carlton first game. 
in the first game of the season. Carlton 13th last year. Yeah, I'm not sure about the Blues. What about uh, Hawthorne in 14th spot last year? Mm, more pain for the Hawks. I think so. Adelaide 15th. They're my side, Sammy. Mm, Adelaide. I was just looking at their 2017 grand final side. There's less than 10 players still on that, still on the team, maybe. I think around eight players are still on I might eight. have to rethink that. GWS in 16th spot. Uh, uh, sorry, Gold Coast in 16th Gold spot. Gold Coast. Uh, yeah, hopefully they go up. Not sure if they make finals. Goal, uh, Collingwood, are they still in the AFL? They finished 17th last year. Yeah, we'll be right. And North Melbourne 18th. Which side of those? Uh, I'll go Richmond and Fremantle to jump up the ladder. All right, let's uh, talk more about that in the weeks ahead. You've been listening to Saturdays in Gippsland. Sam Watson, Rob Popplestone. We'll speak to you again next Saturday morning from 9 o'clock. Catch you, Sammy. See ya.